Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damian Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. And today we have a very special guest, and I've been. Um, really interested in this particular topic for a very long time because I want to know a little bit more about it. But recently there was a uh, New York Times article that uh, puts, that's basically said that organic foods have no benefit compared to conventional foods that is actually out on the market. So we thought, from the wellness guy's point of view, thought we should bring in someone who's a specialist in organics, um, in organic, sorry, and to talk about that. So welcome, Tim Marshall. Hi. Sam, tell us a little bit about your background and how you've been involved with uh, the organic industry and uh, for how long you've been doing this for. Uh, I've basically been around the organic world for about 35 years and in uh, the mid-80s, I became the f- one of the founders and the first chairperson of an organization called NASA, the National Association for Sustainable Agriculture. It was the first organic certifier in Australia. So, Tim, let's start with the first question. I mean, the New York Times article came out, you know, recently and said, basically said that uh, organic food has no relevance or no benefits, um, added benefits to regular conventional foods. Uh, we're basically spending this extra money for no benefit at all. Uh, what do you, how do you, uh, how would you, you know, comment on that? Well, look, the original research from Stanford University uh, was, in fact, uh, in my view, it's actually not so negative, really, but the media, being who they are, of course, <laughs> uh, uh, wants sometimes to uh, to pick up on, on uh, the negative aspects of organic. So what, 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 what I guess the study concluded was, if you are buying organic food for the nutritional benefit, then it's not really worth the money that you're spending. Now, yeah. the study didn't say that there was no nutritional benefit and the study didn't say that there was no reason to eat organic food. But the way it was reported in the media, you might have got that impression and the study certainly did say that, okay, the nutritional benefits are yet to be proven. Yeah, and that's what I got from it, Tim. I, I read the article and then I went and actually looked at the study and, and what I found it said was that, well, yeah, there was some benefit there, but it wasn't a significant benefit, um, but also that that food had less chemicals in it, obviously, um, and was, you know, better taste and quality and those sort of things. So, you know, that to me sort of suggested that it was there was a benefit to the organic food. It's just not necessarily, you know, significant in terms of the actual measurable nutrients. Well, look, look, look um, I mean, the, the, the study only purports to look at nutrients. So the study then admits, okay, look, there could be lots of other reasons to eat organic food. With respect to, sorry, the nutritional benefits, uh, even there, the, the study admits itself to what it calls the heterogeneity of the studies uh, that it looks at. So it's what's what we call a meta-study. A meta it's looking at, I think, 237 reports or, or however many other reports that other people have looked at. And then, uh, and those other reports uh, uh, intended to compare organic and non-organic food. So this study then looks at all of those. But um, it, it refers to heterogeneity. Now, what they mean by that is some of those other studies are looking to compare 
vitamin C or, or other different vitamins. Some of them are looking to compare uh, nutrients and a different range of nutrients and some of them are looking to compare antioxidant enzymes or other health giving factors. So when you then try and compare all of them together, it's obviously a really hard thing to do. And there, are, uh, yeah, and there are other levels of complexity in this as well. If we take one carrot, for instance, and we take that single carrot and grow it in three different soils, we can get three different results for nutrition, one variety of carrots. If we yeah. take the same variety of carrots and grow it in uh, the same soil in three different seasons, we can get uh, three different results. And if we get this three different variety of carrots and grow them in the same soil and the same season, we can get three different results. So again, <laughs> very, very hard to compare. In fact, so hard that I don't know why this study really uh, tries to do that. However, there have been other studies that have tried to do very similar things that have been much more positive uh, for organic. And my personal suspicion is that to collect 237 studies or however many of their source studies were, some of them are now getting pretty old. And my personal view is it, you could almost discard anything over 10 years old. We, we, we didn't know how to look for antioxidants 10 years ago. We weren't nearly as good at looking at nutrients. And if we just looked at recent studies, we might have a much more positive result. So, Tim, what would you suggest are the benefits of organic food? Well, I mean, the study is very clear that there's a lot less pesticides in organic food. I mean, we never said that organic food was free of pesticides. That's a, you know, penguin eggs in the Antarctic have pesticides and no one sprayed them there. So to yeah. say you're free of pesticides is almost impossible. What we've always said is we don't use pesticides in organic mm. food. Now, if you don't use them, then there's a very high chance that you don't have them, and we think that's that's very true. Now, then, then there are other uh, benefits, and these are more esoteric, uh, but still important to people. You know, we insist on humane treatment of animals. There's a consideration of fair trade. There's a, uh, every uh, realistic possibility that you're not contributing to soil erosion and contamination of water resources, etc. So the environmental benefits of organic, I think, are significant. So there's still very, very good reasons to eat organic. Tim, I think we'd all agree with that, and you know, we all have organic produce in our houses and in our homes. And we are, not only do we eat organic, but we often use organic um, things on our body, you know, so whether it be soaps or, you know, um, sprays or deodorants or anything like that, we tend to go organic as well. So we're right up there with the organic thing, but for the average punter, it can be very confusing because some companies just use the word organic and may not have certification but still can get away with it, it seems. Is, what, can you shed some light there as to what maybe people should look for? Well, certainly the organic world basically says you should look for certified organic whenever you're buying through a store. Uh, I personally have a fairly high level of tolerance for non-certified organic in what we call relationship marketing. When I'm buying from the grower at the farmer's market, you know, I think that I'm a little bit more tolerant. When you go through uh, third parties, the farmer needs certification to guarantee that their produce is the real deal that's getting to the consumer, and I as a consumer need certification. 
Now, uh, so the, 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 then you come to a more difficult area, which is uh, body care products and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Because many years ago, before anyone had a certif certified shampoo, for instance, there were products that used the O word in their name. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, because the legislation that we have in Australia, domestic legislation, is uh, is quite recent. It only goes back to 2010. Then there are still uh, some issues to be worked out. But it's it is quite clear that uh, according to the uh, did the new um, the Australian standard uh, 6000 the AS 6000 that if that if the use of those brand names is intended to uh, 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 to, uh, to confuse, or um, th then um, they may well be in breach of the law. So, I guess uh, the next the next six months or twelve months will reveal um, how good that legislation will be in controlling those products. And, and Tim, it seems to me that there's so many different standards for organic. Like there seems to be so many different uh, certifications that are possible. You know, it's hard to tell which ones you know are the ones we should look for, which ones are legit. Maybe are some of them not as rigorous as others? Um, you know, can you give us any insight into the, all those different standards that appear to be out there? Yeah, well, there's now probably six or seven different Australian labels that could be applied to organic, and and then of course there's. More than 250 labels from around the world, and some of those labels could be imported into Australia. So yes, it could be quite confusing. The the, the good news is that those standards, by and large, are very similar. So you know that there are small differences between the standards themselves, and uh, those standards are, are, are certainly things that people like myself, who are deeply involved in in this industry, get get excited about. But from a consumer's point of view, they're broadly the same. So we can consistently say, look for uh, the, the uh, certif certif certification mark and um, a clear and unambiguous certification mark on produce. Now, uh, there's a separate issue, issue for the industry about whether or not we could be more efficient or less efficient with... Um, with your certification organisations, but from the consumer's perspective, the story is consistent. Just look for a certification mark, and by and large, these products uh, are complying to a very similar set of standards. Tim, is it is it a little bit of a cash grab? I, and the reason why I say this is because there are a lot of people out there who do. And look, I'll say that I'm one of these people. I manufacture a 100% certified organic product. All the products, all the ingredients that I use are certified organic. Um, however, as a startup business, I haven't had the money or wanted to invest the money to get certified organic for my bag. And uh, so subsequently, I can't advertise that I'm certified organic because I can't afford to go and put it on the bags, right? So I'm making a certified organic product, but I can't tell people that it's certified organic because I don't have the money. How do we go about you know, fixing that up? Because there's people out there, little mums and little dads out there with businesses that do legitimately make products that are certified organic, but can't necessarily afford the six or eight grand to go and put a label on their bag. Okay. Now, now, now uh, f the first thing to say is that uh, let's talk about food first. Uh, that the, the the organic industry's point of view is definitely that organic food is not too expensive. That conventional food is too cheap. That as a result of that, there are 
uh, there's damage to envir environment, there's cost to our health system, etc., that are not counted when we talk about the price of food. So, yep. in, in the, the, no, that that's quite great. clear. With, with respect yeah, to the cost, the, the cost of certification. Look, uh, you know, I work in this field all the time, and the sort of figures that you're mentioning uh, there are far, far too high. So I would have to say that there are that there are cheaper ways of doing this. Um, and um, look, most most people, uh, if I could talk growers first, because that's the the easiest situation to talk about. Most growers, almost everybody who wanted to get into certification could do so for an initial cost of $1,000 and for an annual cost of uh, perhaps as little as 600 or $650. So in fact, that's not a huge cost. It's less, for instance, than, people are, uh, than fees that people are paying to the Apple and Pear Growers Association, if you're if you're a pear grower, um, you know, just to be be a member of that professional marketing association, so you know the the cost should not be that high. Now, what I won't defend is is the 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 highest cost that you sometimes see for organic produce. So, but I think that um, most people acknowledge that there will always be, and there needs to be a premium on organic food. Well, I think coming back to the point you made just before, Tim, I think that was a really good one. What you were obviously suggesting was that, you know, for the amount of money you save on your weekly grocery bill by buying non-organic food, uh, that that's gonna you're eventually gonna have to pay that because of the the consequences of perhaps those chemicals in your food and the the effects that has on your health later on. Yes, and certainly, you know, it, and the issue of soil, simply soil erosion and the the loss of soil across the world just disappeared. Um, you know, off of the news headlines for the last 30 years, but it's coming back and it's going to come back with a vengeance because, despite all the knowledge that we now have about the environment and the importance of soil, we're still losing soil at an unsustainable rate and uh, we're losing croplands. So, uh, yeah, there, there are many reasons still to uh, buy organic food and environmental protection um, is, is one of the chief amongst those. Yeah. Can I just, just aside here, Tim, and please don't get me wrong because I'm absolutely pro-organic. When I was in New Zealand recently um, and I was over there and they were talking about uh, the organic apple farms, um, there was a, a bloke that I was talking to and he said it's a load of rubbish. The organic farmers spray their crops with, um, with copper. And the copper gets into the soil, and you know, over a period of as as few as ten years, it can render the land inappropriate for growing uh, crops anymore. And I was kind of quite taken back by that because he mentioned, you know, that copper, because it's an organic substance, could be used then to spray these plants, and that could then make the soil, you know, unlivable. Is that true? Uh, look, uh, copper is still allowable as an organic input on farms. It's um it's um, under review. It's uh, it's it's controversial, uh, but uh, there is a limit on its use, which is eight kilos per hectare per year, which is not enough to cause uh, a short-term environmental damage. So th there's a potential for long-term environmental damage from right. hundreds of years of use of copper at those sorts of rates. So the the, right. the organic industry is aware. 
that that copper is controversial and needs to eventually be removed. Of course, we also have to have organic food. So at the moment, there are some compromises that have been made in the organic standard. For instance, at the moment, we allow people to use non-organic seedlings. It's a pretty small compromise in order to get the industry going. But the but the organic industry is very aware that in time, it needs to become more sustainable. We shouldn't be basing an organic industry on non-organic inputs like seedlings, and nor should we be continuing to use um, copper. So what we do have is some really good research into biologicals, trichodermas and um, uh, bacillus and other things that have the potential to replace copper. In the meantime, we have a limit of eight kilos per hectare per year. In fact, in Australia, nobody uses anything like eight hectares. Uh, sorry, eight uh, kilos per hectare. That that's a figure which is in international standards because the Northern Europeans, uh, with their problem of uh, cold, wet climates. Uh, need that sort of figure. Nobody in Australia would be using, even in conventional growing, no one would be using our figure anything like that. So yes, copper is an issue. Uh, yes, the organic industry is aware uh, that it's an issue. And look, I, I actually think it's a remarkable example of how good these organic standards actually are for an industry-run standard uh, where um, all these issues are absolutely alive and uh, under discussion and under review at the, the International Standard Setting Forums. Sure. Thanks, Tim. I was wondering if you could just go through the process of a farmer that, you know, what they actually have to do to get certified organic. Like, what are some of the steps? What are some of the processes? It takes, you know, a couple of years to do this. Does it take one or two years? What do they actually have to, what's the checklist for someone to be certified organic? <laughs> Well, the first thing a farmer has to do is obtain a, a copy of uh, one of these standards and uh, they have to read and understand the standard and make an application to one of the seven or eight certification schemes that are around. That involves fees. Those fees are variable, but in the first year, uh, most, most organisations, unless they're large and complex, should not exceed $1,000. The uh, the farmer then uh, uh, fills out a questionnaire which asks about the previous three years of uh, farming practice in detail. Uh, they sign a statutory declaration and make their application for certification. Uh, they um, receive two inspections in the first 12 months and during that 12-month period they can make no claim to be organic. After, in their second year, um, so at least 12 months after their application and at least 12 months after their last use of a non-organic chemical or practice, so they, they can begin to claim to be what we call conversion to organic. And 36 months after uh, their initial application and the last use of a non-organic chemical or practice, they can call themselves organic. They have to have an annual inspection. Uh, they have to make an annual report to this to the certifier. They're subject to uh, unannounced inspection, and they have um, significant obligations with respect to record keeping. Yeah. 
Thanks, Tim. Um, obviously, lots of our listeners um, may be thinking about uh, organic food and organic veggies, and obviously one of the best ways to get into that um, is to perhaps have your own vegetable patch too. Um, so people might want to have an organic garden going at home, an organic veggie patch. Um, what sort of have you got any tips for them to be sort of starting out? What should they look for in terms of um, you know building up a nice organic garden? In terms of you know what they're looking for at the harvest or what what ingredients they can buy to get into that veggie patch to get things started. Well, the first thing is to grow at least something that you eat. I mean, I I, I think if ideally you can, if you if every day you can grow something that you you've eaten yourself, uh, you're on the right track. Now, because some of us have smaller gardens or larger gardens or whatever, uh, you have to adjust to your personal circumstances. But even if it's only growing some herbs on a balcony, um, <clears throat> I think that it's really good then to uh, uh, to, to just be in contact with some of some of those processes of making your own food. That if you're lucky enough to have a garden, uh, then start with really something simple, something like a parsley plant, which will virtually grow itself, and get your levels of confidence up um, about being able to to grow those uh, those sorts of things. And uh, I guess the other thing that I would say is that the best single thing that we can do for our soils probably is to keep them mulched or covered. And and if we're lucky enough to have some good compost, that's even better, but simply to keep our soils um, covered and start growing something uh, uh, simple like like the herbs uh, to get some experience. So when you say keep the soils covered, we're talking about like, like a nice organic, like a loosened hay or something like that. Is that what you're thinking, to cover that? <clears throat> Yes, yes. Uh, you know, um, when you first start some uh, uh, little seeds or seedlings, in perhaps in spring, you need to have a little bare area around the uh, around the plant. But as soon as that plant is up and away, uh, you want to be actually covering the soil surface so you can you can't really actually see the soil surface itself. So any any sort of old decaying. Uh, Organic matter, old leaves, uh, lawn clippings, prunings from the garden, lucerne hay, um, animal manures for some of us perhaps, etc. As long as the soil is, is covered. I know that um, my wife tries to garden and we try to garden and we're just shockingly bad at it. Um, just because obviously the weeds and stuff get in and, and obviously when people are trying to grow organic stuff, um, they want to kind of not have these you know pesticides and stuff what, what what would you suggest you know you know local you know it's just for us i guess normal people to use to not to kill weeds and and all these bugs and stuff and prevent uh, and also grow these organic foods what, what would be something that you could suggest well if you start with a small area and and uh hand pull your weeds and either put them in a, through a compost system or put them back on the soil surface as a mulch uh, old newspapers are a really good way to keep uh, the weeds down. In fact, uh, you know, uh, the, the more organic matter you put on the soil surface, the easier the weeds come out. So those of us like myself who are keen composters, you know, uh, eventually our relationship with our weeds uh, changes because we see them as an opportunity uh, to make compost or make mulch uh, rather than, uh, than, than, than just a hassle. So... Uh, yes, we you know gardening is a little bit of work, but um, it's worthwhile. Uh, and a lot of us could use a little bit more physical activity, 
and some of us could use a you know a little bit more sunlight and a little bit more mobility so getting out there and doing a garden and growing something in the garden is a good thing obviously we have to uh, have to you know change our goals uh, depending on the space we've got available and our personal and our physical well-being or, or healthfulness but uh, you know it's a good it's a good thing to grow something uh, that you eat yeah, absolutely, Tim, and we're all for that. You know, if you listen to our podcast, we're all about getting out in the sun and getting outdoors and exercising. So, um, you know, I know personally I've got a veggie patch at home and, and love it. And um, so, Tim, for people starting out, though, you know, they do find some of those common pests, I guess, that can get in there, um, if, if we want to call them pests, because really they're probably part of the ecosystem as well. Uh, but, but, you know, things that can get in there. What are the most common problems people have, I guess, when they start doing uh, organic farming? What, what usually gives them the most grief in terms of those fruits and veggies? Well, I guess uh, there's a whole lot of climbing bugs that, uh, that live in the ground and climb up uh, uh, plants, especially at night, uh, weevils, uh, cutworms, and they, uh, harlequin bugs, those sorts of things. So uh, for a lot of those things... Um, you know, I uh, I suggest people uh, obtain what we call non-drying glue. Uh, they're marketed as Tanglefoot and other things, and you just put a little uh, lick of that, uh, smear it with an ice cream stick around the plant, and that'll stop any any of those climbing bugs, the weevils, the harlequin bugs, etc., from climbing up. Now, I guess in southern Australia. The uh, the main thing that gardeners are spraying for is uh, an aphid. Now, uh, an aphid is uh, often protected by an ant, which again climbs up from the ground. So, uh, you know, a little lick of this uh, product, a non-drying glue, smeared around the stem of your tomato plant, uh, and using an ice cream stick, just uh, wipe it around the stem. Now, that will stop the ants climbing up and uh, protecting the aphids because the aphids produce little honeydew which the ants uh, eat, the little secretions, the sweet secretions from the, uh, the aphids and if they find a ladybird larva or something like that that's, uh, that's eating the aphids, they'll chew its legs off. So that's, that's the end of that. Uh, so uh, <laughs> through, through southern Australia, the, the main thing we spray for is aphids and here's a, an example of a wonderful, safe uh, product, extremely cheap product. A $10 tube of this product will last most gardeners three or four years and, and it will eliminate the need for any spraying. And Tim, is it true or is it an urban myth that if you plant um, garlic at the base of your plants, then that can help to keep the aphids away? Look, it is true that not only garlic but a whole lot of other aromatic plants help to uh, confuse insects and protect plants. However, I have to say, uh, you know, one or two garlic plants underneath your rose bushes are not really going to cut it. You know, what, what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about here... Yeah. That's exactly what I was trying to do, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> what we're talking about here is one, you've got one of two, two, two options. One is to go for a really mixed polyculture garden. You know, these are the sorts of things that I guess the permaculture uh, people try to to develop where all, all the, the different elements of the garden 
yeah, herbs and, and flowers and vegetables and companion plants are mixed in together. Or yeah. you, you can then do uh, some form of companion planting where you are, for instance, planting garlic plants underneath your roses. But in most of those situations, then you really need to give, uh, you give it a good shot. In other words, yeah, it needs to be more than uh, just a couple of African daisies around your plants to try and protect them, protect them against nematodes. You need to, yeah. you know, really plant quite a few of those things. And and the companion planting guide, there's a little book that sort of goes through all that, doesn't it? It sort of has information in there about all different plants, what you can plant next to each other and those sort of things. That, that's one of the ones we've certainly got that we've tried to follow in terms of the planting. Yeah, so w w what I would say, though, is that that's a, a really good example of one of the strategies that organic growers use. If yep. if you use that as your main strategy, it's not really going to work for you very well. But, yep. you know, organic growers use multiple strategies to solve these sorts of issues. And really for a lot of us, uh, you know, w what we really want to do is break down the whole idea of having a monoculture. Of course, in the home garden, we can do that very, very well. You know, the organic growers manage to do this on large scale very well. They need good long straight rows, for instance, to, uh, you know, to operate commercial machinery to make their operations efficient. So, you know, they need a good, a, a, a good run at their, at their you know, planting uh, for you know, garlic or brassicas or whatever else it is. But they don't have to plant just one uh, crop in a field. They can crop uh, plant three or four different crops in a field in long straight rows. So they're just breaking down the monoculture and adding diversity. And we find that wherever we do that, there's a benefit to be had. Tim, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I mean, the wealth of knowledge that uh, you have and, and being able to tell us, you know, about everything about organics. So it's been fantastic. If you guys want to know more about uh, Tim Marshall and uh, about his organics uh, uh, courses he actually has available and some books as well, uh, please go to www.tmorganics.com. We'll have the link to the website on our website. So please tell us what you think about this episode. Just go to thewellnessguys.com. Tell us, you know, what you think about this particular episode and also more importantly if you actually eat organic foods as well and where do you buy them uh, in your local area that'll be great for those uh, other fans as well uh, you can join us on facebook and carry this conversation there and uh, make sure you sign up for our episode on itunes so until next week begin creating wellness into our lives lead by example and let's change the world's health together join us next week on the wellness guys show